Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Doc, is it time to get my joint replaced? It's a question I'm often asked. And I'm often asked, not just about timing, but what goes into making that decision and how does a person make that decision for themselves and ideally do so in consultation with a caring orthopedic surgeon? It's a really complicated topic and one that there's still a lot of confusion and lack of clarity around, but it's a really important topic and I'm hoping we can bring some light on this from some recast episodes that I would hope it provided some enlightenment around this important area, but potentially there is further enlightenment to be gained. Again, in an ideal world, before you go along and have these conversations with a surgeon, you're forearmed, empowered, and in a state of mind that you're going to be able to have a clear conversation about what's in your best interests. A joint replacement is a wonderfully cost-effective procedure. And for the right person at the right time, it's tremendously effective, but not infrequently, it doesn't go well. How do we know who's appropriate? When do we know it's the right time? It's these sorts of issues that we're going to dig into today. And again, hopefully enlighten you and empower you with knowledge that will be really helpful in your future disease journey. In the first instance, we chat to Michelle Darcy and Peter Chung, about should I have my joint replaced? And this was from season one, episode seven, for anybody who'd like to go in and dig further into that episode. And they describe about what a joint replacement is, how long you'll be in hospital for, how long it'll take to recover, how much an average you could expect to pay, and how much does it cost the healthcare system? Peter, I wonder if you could describe what a joint replacement is. So a joint replacement is surgical procedure. It's a technique where worn uh, joints, in the case of a hip, a ball and socket joint. Uh, in the case of a knee, for example, it's a curved surface rubbing across a smooth, flat surface uh, where the years and years of rubbing or injury have caused the cartilage on the ends of the joints to wear away, just like the lino in the kitchen floor is wearing away near the door and you can suddenly see the floorboards. And, and that's what arthritis is. And so we replace that surface. We put a new liner on the kitchen floor. We put a new lining in the joint. And sometimes that means 
putting an implant, a metallic implant, or plastic bit in there that gives you the new ball and the new socket or the new surface to your knee. That allows you to move the joint smoothly without the catching. It is one that is uh, takes away pain to a degree and allows the knee or the hip to move through a better range than before in a more pain-free manner. Great. Now, for the person who has a joint replaced, how long would they expect to be in hospital and typically how long would it take for them to recover back to their normal type of function? Yeah, well, that depends on which joint, but if, if I were to average it out, uh, people would be in hospital anywhere between two days and six days on average. And oftentimes the younger patients are the ones who would leave uh, earlier than the older patients because these days the um, principle is to get people up and out of bed as soon as possible so they don't lose their confidence. They, they really keep and hang on to their independence and their mobility. So that's what we, people try and do. And, and getting people out of bed earlier means that they can get home a lot sooner. And indeed, the successful uh, programs have two-thirds to three-quarters of the patients going home and perhaps the others either staying a little longer or going into rehabilitation. So that's the acute phase. Uh, in, in the medium phase, surgeons always tell their patients, you know, you'll be much better in six weeks to the point that you'll be able to drive your car and be a lot more active in the garden, traps, maybe going in chipping balls on the driving range at about six to eight weeks. And about three months to six months is when people start to feel totally in control of that joint so that they will begin to plan travel, go out to functions more freely, and in some cases actually take on a lot more physical activity depending on how fit and well they are. For the average person who has a joint replacement, what usually would they expect to pay and how much would it cost the healthcare system, again, on average? Yeah. So in the public system, they would pay nothing. And it's part of our universal healthcare system. In the private setting, they could also pay nothing if their surgeon is associated with a no-gap system. Then there is the second level, which is a gap system, where they pay a fixed amount and the bill is sent directly to the insuring company. And those sorts of patients may pay up to about $500 for a joint replacement set. Then they're the ones where the patient gets the bill from the surgeon, from the anaesthetist, and from the physician who may be looking after them and from the assistant. That, that perhaps would, would amount to somewhere up to about eight to $10,000 as a whole. The total cost to the system for joint replacement it is about, in today's numbers, about $25,000 per joint replacement to the system. Really importantly, we speak about what benefits you might expect from a joint replacement, and as importantly, what can go wrong. Now, you spoke a little bit about this before in terms of pain, but what benefits can someone expect from a joint replacement, and what, and what can go wrong? Yeah, well, I, th I think the most important thing that both the patient and the surgeon has to focus on is the benefit is one of pain relief. And the more successful joint replacements give more pain relief. The less successful ones, you will have some relief, but perhaps not to the level which the patient is expecting. The second thing you're looking for is an improvement in function. And function is really a combination of strength and range of motion. 
Because if you've got range of motion and strength, you can move things. And it's that movement that gives patients their, I guess, their mobility, the, the independence to get about uh, in a way that's pain-free. So that, that's what you can expect in varying degrees. But with that, they also have surgery that is risky. Even though joint replacement surgery is done all the time, it can be a risky subject because of the anesthetic, because of age, because of some of the problems that patients bring with them, like a dicky heart, uh, lungs that don't work so well because they've smoked, maybe because they're not as well as they can be because of diabetes. And today we have to accept that there are a lot of overweight patients around and their overall health is, is uh, much less because they're overweight. So those are the risks uh, that could cause something to go wrong, such as infection, heart attacks, strokes, fractures, dislocations, things like that. It's critical before you have a joint replacement that you have really realistic expectations about what that procedure might provide. And we try to cover off some common misconceptions that people who have osteoarthritis may have. I think it is realistic to expect improvement and significant improvement in pain, but I think it's realistic to expect complete pain resolution necessarily in all cases. Some of the misconceptions that patients were exhibiting in this study that we did was that when a person has advanced osteoarthritis or moderate to advanced osteoarthritis, that surgery is the only option for them, that it was considered to be curative in terms of replacing lost cartilage. And there was a misconception that physiotherapy would only further damage a damaged joint. So if you actively undertook some physiotherapy that you could actually make your osteoarthritis worse. So that was some of the common themes that were coming through across the patients. We then discuss the optimal timing for getting a joint replaced and talk about that from both a patient perspective and a healthcare system perspective. So when I think about optimal timing from the patient's perspective, there are probably some key things that need to be addressed. Obviously, there's the patient presentation, that they, their radiographic arthritis severity warrants, that it's severe enough to warrant surgery and that their pain pro profile is matched with that, that they're medically optimised. So there's all of those types of things. But there's all, it's very important that the patient is ready and willing to undergo joint replacement surgery. And I think that decision needs to be made after spending or after undertaking a, a formal decision-making process, weighing up all these risks and benefits with the surgeon and perhaps using some sort of tool to assist with that. And I think that there needs to be a lot of... Uh, the patients need to have considered... A, evidence-based non-surgery interventions that are somewhat tailored to their individual situation. So physiotherapy is great for everybody with osteoarthritis. If someone presents and they're overweight, you would hope that they had undergone some weight loss intervention. If they have um, levels of psychological distress, that that's been addressed as well. So I think it's important when patients are presenting that they have actually, they have discussed all of these things and that there's been this real concerted effort to trial non-surgery interventions so that the patient feels that 
you know, other options have been exhausted and, and, there, and there's a warrant there for, for surgery itself. In terms of the healthcare system, I don't know that they would have a different perspective to say that whether the infrastructure is there to deliver on the non-surgery interventions and those other options, I'm not quite sure that they exist in an in effective um, form. Can I, can I just uh, jump in there? And I think there are, there are really two sorts of um, patients. One has such severe osteoarthritis that they creak in when they come in, they're helped in and out by a helper. They can barely move, they're very stiff and they're in considerable pain. So under that circumstance, I, I think pragmatically, the role of adjuvant treatments with physio things like that may, may not be practical for them. So they probably represent a small group, but a group that becomes readily apparent when you see them. Then there's another group where they will have, and, and I see them, They'll have significant arthritis. They'll say all the right things, where the pain is, where it's going. You'll examine. But I always say to them, you come when the quality of life for you has declined to the point that you feel it's now an incursion and you want a change. And they'll say, well, when is that? When do you think I need surgery? And I often say, well, if you're asking me that question, you're not ready. If you ask me, when should I have my surgery? You're not ready. When you ask me, should you, do you think I should have my surgery? You're not ready. Because you'll know when you're ready. You'll come through that door and no matter what I say, you're going to say, I need this surgery. And that actually helps push the patient back. You know, it's a great way of pushing, pushing back against the patient and uh, getting them to really own the problem that they have. That it's, they're not just turning up and someone's going to solve, uh, easily solve through surgery. They're going to have to really understand how this is impacting their life. And I think the better outcomes are the ones where the patient drives the decision, not the surgeon. Now, I know that that's probably helped to cover off a lot of the content, but I think it's important that you hear oftentimes another perspective, potentially to reinforce some of those concepts, but if not, at least to provide you some difference in perspective. We were really fortunate to talk to Gillian Hawker in season four, episode eight about when is a joint replacement appropriate. Now, oftentimes there is a complicated decision to be made that's construed with a whole range of different factors, including your age, your health, the severity of the disease that go into hopefully making an informed choice about what's best for you. Now, oftentimes those decisions are made by surgeons. And in an ideal world, they would share that decision-making with you about what's appropriate and when it's appropriate. So with Gillian, we talk about such matters as this being a preference-sensitive procedure. And what does that exactly mean? So a lot of surgeries are performed to save somebody's life or to take out something that's going to kill them like a malignant tumor. And many surgeries are done urgently. So there's no choice. We have to do it. This is a surgery that's effectively performed to improve somebody's quality of life. It's performed predominantly to relieve pain and improve ability to function. It's not urgent. It's not an emergency. 
by and far. There's lots of time to think about and weigh the pros and cons, and particularly the pros and cons in the context of your own situation. So are you working for a living? How much is your osteoarthritis affecting your ability to do the things you want to do? Are you in a caregiving relationship? Whatever. And so that's what preference sensitive means, that any two patients put in front of a surgeon may be identical on x-ray and physical exam, let's say, but they one may really want surgery and the other may really not be ready. And so their preferences and values for care should be influencing whether or not they're getting the procedure. From your perspective, it's critical that you think about the range of factors that go into contributing to that important decision about your readiness, your expectations, concomitant problems such as depression, and how those factors can influence the outcomes of the joint replacement. Talk a little bit about the appropriateness criteria used to determine when it's appropriate for a person to have a joint replacement and hopefully allows them to optimize their chance of having a good outcome. So I'll try to make this really simple in construct. So the RAND methodology was developed in the U.S. back in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, in an era when we were well aware that there was significant variability in the likelihood of a variety of procedures, surgeries being performed. So what it does is there's a literature review showing what the actual risk factors for a bad outcome of a surgery are. And though that information is brought to a group of expert physicians, in this case, it might be orthopedic surgeons and rheumatologists, and maybe even some family doctors who discuss the information and a series of patient scenarios. And through discussion consensus, they decide what are the criteria um, by which people should be considered appropriate. That RAND methodology, they score them. And based on the score that's a sum of these various variables or criteria are given a final assessment of appropriate, uncertain, and inappropriate. And that work has to date never involved people with osteoarthritis. And the validation has so checking that it makes sense and stands up has largely been done by taking the same case scenarios, patient stories, and putting them in front of other physicians and saying, how would you rate this patient? And if they both say the patient's appropriate, then check the criteria are valid, which is not the intent. Appropriateness is generally defined as a procedure or treatment or surgery that provides net benefit to the patient. And so saying that a procedure gives you less risk than pain improvement doesn't necessarily fit that definition of net benefit to the patient. And until very recently, actually, there hasn't been any proof that RAND developed measures appropriate measures, actually can discriminate at the time the decision's being made, the people that are going to go on to say, this was a good result from the patient's perspective versus this is not a good result. 
There are a lot of other groups that have looked at ACES registries, national registries, large, large numbers of people that have had hip replacement or knee replacement and looked at predictors of a good outcome. Most of those studies have not defined a good outcome in a yes or no way. They've usually looked at it in a lots or a little way. And generally, they're only as good as the questions that were asked of patients preoperatively. So again, mostly they talk about the level of pain, the level of function prior to surgery, comorbidities, other health problems, etc. So they again, don't really get at the patient and what the patient is really feeling. So the, the Hawker criteria is work that our group's been working on for a long time. But basically, we said, okay, where what do patients think about appropriateness for surgery? So we ask people with hip and knee osteoarthritis. We also ask surgeons. But we basically said, what is your concept of patient appropriateness for joint replacement? And they totally agreed. Both groups agreed that prior receipt of treatment was should should have done. They should have demonstrable need for surgery and the risks shouldn't outweigh the benefits. That, that No problem. So that was all consistent, but they brought up two other really critical points. One was that the patient needed to be ready for surgery. They needed to be motivated to have the surgery. And they talked, especially those who'd been through surgery, they talked about having experienced particularly knee replacement, it could be very tough going for the first few months after surgery, really tough, very painful, very challenging. They said, you've got to really have a positive attitude, be very optimistic, be very motivated. And they really talked about this ready and willing to undergo surgery. And the other thing that came up both from surgeons and patients and has come up in other discussions by other groups is realistic expectations. That somebody who wants to go back to high impact hockey, I'm speaking as a Canadian, of course, that may not be the best thing to do with a newly replaced joint. So that it's important to understand what's motivating the patient to want to have the surgery. What do they wanna do? Is it simply that they want to get rid of the horrible pain they're experiencing? Or do they have very specific expectations for the kind of work they do, the kind of recreational activities they do, etc. So basically, what we had elucidated from that, we subsequently have tested prospectively in people undergoing knee replacement, and we're able to show that people who were ready and willing and had, depending on their expectations, were significantly more likely to experience a good outcome measured as improvement in pain function and satisfaction with results. And that discriminated much better than just looking at level of arthritis, pain, disability, and comorbidities. So back to the paper in OANC, they basically were saying very few of these studies, in fact, I believe it was five out of the 22 studies that they found, had actually incorporated the patient's perspective about readiness, willingness, and expectations. And so how do you do that? You can't do that with a score. 
Why can't you do that with a score? Because if I took you and me and had the same x-rays and the same level of pain and the same level of function, the things that are influencing our expectations will include what are our regular activities, maybe our age and our other health problems. What's our environment like? You live in Australia. I live in Canada. You know, do we have little children? Do we have grandchildren? Are we still working? So all of those things influence your expectations. And you can't get at that without, I believe, a conversation. And that is shared decision making, which is what this article basically says is missing from current appropriateness criteria. Tremendous description of an incredibly complex area, and I think really reinforces the importance of having that conversation with the patient. And you know, as as you've really clearly alluded to, those important concepts around expectations, readiness, and motivation for for that really big and important procedure. Do you are you happy just to describe it a little bit? Because I think you did this really well in the editorial that you wrote where we're failing because you know i think the systematic review detailed 55 different studies and they provided really good information about where we're not doing well as far as those appropriateness criteria are concerned around some of those really important concepts because you've you've said quite clearly that you know in a preference sensitive procedure where we know that joint replacement ideally should be targeted to the right person at the right time we know that a lot of the time the right patient is not getting the procedure and those appropriateness criteria that you've just spoken about, particularly those that are based upon the patient's voice are not being heard, are influencing their likelihood of a good outcome. So how are we doing with regards the appropriateness criteria that we've got? And, you know, and then I'll, I'll get into what we can do as a health system potentially to improve that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think none of us are in the, clinic space where a surgeon's talking to the patient, but our qualitative work and other people's qualitative work, patients report back that these things aren't being discussed with them. What we do know for sure is that people are having hip and knee replacement without having exhausted non-surgical therapies. There's a lot of myths out there. You've talked about them on other podcasts about well, when you've got really bad disease, you know, you can't exercise, you can't be physically active, that would just make the disease worse. That's wrong. And there's good evidence that physical activity can actually improve pain and function, even in somebody with very advanced disease. So most studies suggest that about 70% of people, only 70% of people are coming to surgery, having really had an exhaustive trial of recommended non-surgical therapies. So that's, I think, the first problem. The second thing is around willingness and expectations. So the guidelines, even the RAND appropriateness criteria, which were used to develop the U.S. American arthroplasty guidelines, say, yes, you should, the patient's expectations should be realistic, and yes, they should have exhausted therapy, and yes, should, they should be ready and willing, but you should do that after determining if they're appropriate. In other words, first you should think about, do they have the disease and are, are they likely to have complications? And if the answer is no to complications and yes, they have the disease, then they're appropriate for surgery. 
And then you can have these other conversations. But I, I think that's completely backwards. But that's what's currently happening. So are people being asked, why are you here? Why are you seeking surgery? No. If you ask people, what, what do they want? Our work and others have shown they want to be able to kneel. They want to be able to get down on the ground with grandchildren or to work. They want to be able to enjoy recreational sport activities. They want to be able to walk. So, you know, we're not all the same. There's huge variability in who wants what. And I'll just pick on kneeling for two seconds because it it struck our group very much that kneeling was really predictive of not being satisfied with your result, with your surgical result. And we know in knee replacement that people don't have an easy time of being able to kneel after surgery. But two thirds of the people in our over 2000 that were asked wanted to be able to kneel better. So there's a complete mismatch between what people were wanting to get from their surgery and what the surgeon already knew they weren't going to get from their surgery. So we know that when people don't have their expectations met, they are dissatisfied. And that dissatisfaction with the outcome is the thing that we're really trying to address now. And you can't address that without addressing readiness, willingness, and expectations. We close off by hopefully having quick conversation that will be, again, hopefully informative for you about what advice Jillian would give someone who's thinking about having a joint replacement. These days, most people have multiple problematic osteoarthritic joints. It's rare to have a single knee or a single hip that's the problem. And This procedure does a really good job on that joint that's being replaced. But if you've got pain and disability due to lots of other joints or your back or a prior stroke, it doesn't get rid of those things. So again, expectation setting, context setting, there's a big picture that people have to focus on that I think often clinicians don't. They're focused on that one piece of anatomy. So I think that's important, but I don't want people to leave thinking that this is not a great procedure. It's a universally fabulous procedure. So now we're we're tweaking because it's such a good procedure that people are asking for when maybe they don't need it yet, or maybe they don't need it at all, or maybe other therapies would be actually safer and better, or maybe the likelihood that they're going to be happy with the results is so low that we've got other things to offer them. So I I think that's really the message. Again, a really pithy but important topic. A question that I'm often asked in the clinic is when should I have my joint replaced and am I an appropriate candidate? It's those really important questions that we've tried to dig into today to provide some content to dispel some of that mystery. We've been fortunate to chat to world thinking leaders in this space who provided really important and balanced perspectives. So I hope you walk away informed, empowered. And when you have that conversation about if a joint replacement is appropriate for you and when you should get it, you come better armed to make a meaningful choice. Thank you so much for your support of the podcast. Really looking forward to connecting with you again soon. But between now and then, 
please do take good care of yourself. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, visit www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.